Well, we are going to continue in the Gospel of John in our third part of the three-part series about uh, the language where Jesus begins to use uh, describing sheep and a shepherd. And Jesus, last week we saw, is the door of the sheep. Um, this, this week we'll finish that up. It's exactly where I wanted to be before um, we leave for vacation. We'll be gone just one Sunday, and then we'll jump back into it when we get back. But kind of closes out this little section in John chapter 10. So let's go ahead and pray as we jump into it. Father, we ask that you would open the eyes of our hearts by your Spirit this morning. That we would find Jesus to be more glorious today than when we walked in. That by the end of this, that we would understand him a little more, that our hearts would find themselves more satisfied, that we would find more joy in Christ as a result of seeing what he says here in this gospel. May we find ourselves grateful, thankful for what Christ did for us. May we never lose sight of the sacrifice he made so that we could all be here this morning with hearts ready to honor and worship him. Help us this morning to understand and to love Jesus. We ask all this in his name. Amen. A popular theme that's showed up in entertainment, specifically in movies, recently has been one of sacrifice. Now, I've been reading through, well, I took a break for a little while, for a couple months because of some classwork, and I jumped back in a little bit here and there to reading through the Lord of the Rings series. And I've become more aware in in reading the series rather than watching the movies. You only see this this idea pop up maybe a, a couple times within the movies, but in the books it's all over the place because you're getting insight into the thoughts of what's going on in the characters. Is you begin to realize that Frodo and Sam, when they went on this journey to destroy the ring, the further they get in that journey, the more they realize it's a one way journey. Over and over, I'm only partway through the second book, and already you have thoughts, particularly even of, of Sam, the, the kind of sidekick of Frodo there, who's thinking there's going to be no journey back. There is no way we're going to make it back to the Shire. We're, there's this element there of, of sacrifice. And it was this ring that was brought to light to them. They, they had no clue about these other people in these worlds around them. They may have heard rumors or stories, and yet here they are, as soon as this ring was brought to light and they're sent on this journey, they're now sacrificing their very lives for the sake of the rest of Middle Earth, the rest of all these different types of people that are in the story, people that they had never even known existed. But this theme of sacrifice isn't a new one. 
right? We know that it dates back all the way to what we know to be the greatest sacrifice. And it's the theme that we see in Jesus today as he describes himself in this third part as being the good shepherd. Five times in this passage, Jesus is going to talk about how the good shepherd lays down his life. Sacrifice. And even though his audience is perplexed by what he means, we, now looking back, understand everything that Jesus was trying to point towards. And as we look at the good shepherd laying down his life today, we're going to see some certain things explained. We're going to see explained why he lays down his life, We're going to see who he lays down his life for, and we're going to see how he lays down his life, or with what attitude he kind of lays down his life. And hopefully by the end of this, as we study it, we we will find our souls abounding in joy and gratitude towards our great, good shepherd. Let's read our passage for this morning. It's John chapter 10, starting in verse 11. John chapter 10, starting in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can the demon open the eyes of the blind? If you remember, as we've kind of been going through this three-part series, Jesus has been contrasting himself with the other leaders of the Jewish faith, right? We, We saw before that they were called thieves or robbers or in another part that they were called strangers. Here, we see them referred to as hired hands. And Jesus gives this overarching statement there in verse 11, I am the good shepherd The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is the thread that runs throughout the entire passage. It's not something that the hired hands would have done. That was the whole point there in the first section we'll see. The hired hands instead are self-serving. They're only worried about getting what they want, getting what they think they need. They have no concern for the sheep. They only care about themselves. But with Jesus, we see your first point there. The good shepherd lays down his life because he cares for the sheep. 
Sacrifice is the test of what makes a good shepherd. Look at verse 12. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand is not even a shepherd. He doesn't even have a relationship with the sheep, other than he's just been hired to kind of watch over them. Thus, when danger comes, when the wolf shows up, this hired hand flees. Right? He leaves the sheep. He runs away. It's not worth it to him. These sheep don't mean anything. Instead, he's just going to let the wolf come and snatch them up and scatter them. Sacrifice is not an option for the hired hand. Just like it's not an option for the religious leaders of Jesus' day. Jesus is speaking to them. Remember, he called them already thieves and robbers and strangers. And here he's speaking to them again. He's saying, you don't really care about the sheep. The only, the only thing you care about the sheep is if they're listening to you. If they're not listening to you, you're just going to leave them. As soon as you see danger start to show up, you're going to leave those sheep in the dust to care for yourselves. And Jesus gives us clarity as to why they make that decision in verse 13. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. They don't care about the sheep. They think the sheep are disposable. They're just means to serve themselves. But that's not true for the good shepherd. That's the point here. Jesus isn't just just trying to degrade the religious leaders. Instead, he's trying to point to himself and say, that's not the good shepherd, though. The good shepherd isn't going to abandon you like the religious leaders. As soon as danger shows up, the the good shepherd isn't just going to leave you and flee away from you. Jesus doesn't run away, but instead he gives his very life for the sheep. And he does it all because what's not true in verse 13 about the hired hand is true about the good shepherd. The good shepherd cares for the sheep. You don't make sacrifices for things that you don't care about, right? Nobody says, I'm just going to take this other job because it offers me less money, right? Nobody just randomly says that. You do it because the other benefits of that job are things you care about. So it might be that you have less hours, or you, it's not as far of a drive, so you get to spend more time at home with your family, and that's something you care about. Or you think of parents. Parents, as far as any I've met, no parents decide, you know what, I'm just going to see how well I can do tomorrow on two hours of sleep. Instead, though, you care about the fact that you have a sick child, or about a child that was up half the night because they had a nightmare and couldn't go back to sleep, right? You make sacrifices based on what you care about. And Jesus, as the good shepherd, offers the greatest sacrifice, his very life. He goes to the cross and experiences a brutal, brutal death. Why? Because he cares about the sheep. My friends, that means... If you're one of Jesus' sheep this morning, he cares about you. Some of you need to be reminded of this this morning. 
Some of you just need to remember that Jesus cares about you. Jesus was willing to give his own life for your sins, but it's not that he just, okay, your penalty's paid, I'm going to leave you on your own now. You remember the promise he makes to his disciples as he sends them on the Great Commission? What's he say? I will be with you always. Friends, Jesus didn't just care enough to lay down his life in the past. Jesus cares about whatever it is you're in this morning. Whatever situation you find yourself in, whatever dangers around you, whatever suffering you're in, he didn't run away from you as soon as it showed up. He's still there, caring for you, ready to shepherd you as the sheep that he knows every detail about you. Which brings us to the next part. We just saw the why. Why does he lay down his life? Because he cares for the sheep. Now we're going to see the who. Who Jesus lays down his life for. The good shepherd lays down his life on behalf of the sheep he intimately knows and is known by. Notice what is said again in that overarching statement in verse 11 but we see it kind of played out over and over throughout the passage. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. It's not that the good shepherd sacrifices himself for all the animals, right? We know Jesus elsewhere says there's the goats and the sheep, right? And there's going to be a judgment between the two of them. He doesn't offer his life for the goats, It's for the sheep that the good shepherd lays down his life. Now, even though this is a limitation, I'm not saying that that means that there's a particular group of people that we don't share Jesus with, right? Actually, that's contrary to the very next point where Jesus talks about that there are other sheep out there that we don't know about. So I'm not saying we neglect a certain group of people. The point here, though, is just saying exactly what we saw last week, that anybody who doesn't enter by Jesus as the door doesn't receive the benefit of Jesus laying down his life for them. Right? Those who don't come through Jesus as the door, those who aren't part of Jesus' flock, do not receive the benefit of having a good shepherd who lays down his life for them. He lays down his life for those who belong to him, not for those who reject him. And we see this exchange happen here. And it it displays how much Jesus cares for the sheep. Jesus offers himself in place of the sheep. If Jesus acted like the hired hand, where would the sheep be left? They'd either be dead or lost, right? They'd either be snatched up and killed, or they'd be scattered and lost without a shepherd. Funny, that's exactly where we all are before we find ourselves under the good shepherd, is either dead or lost. But as the good shepherd, Jesus offers himself on behalf of his sheep, meaning he takes their death so that they can have life. That's precisely what we see at the cross. In fact, if you remember last week, it's precisely the goal of Jesus' mission that we saw in verse 10. Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus came so his sheep would have 
life. He lays down his life and takes on our death so that his sheep can have true life. Life that is now reconciled to God. Because Jesus took the Father's wrath, we now are able to have peace with God. Not just peace with God, but intimacy with him. Notice that's how Jesus goes on to describe the relationship between him as the shepherd and his sheep. It's a reciprocal relationship. Look at verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. He knows them. They know him. Right? It's reciprocated. But look at the intimacy of this relationship. Verse 15. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Think about that intimacy for a second. First, Jesus knows his sheep like the Father knows his Son. And this isn't just an earthly father. This is God the Father and Jesus the Son. How intimate they are in their relationship together is how intimately Jesus knows his sheep. Consider that intimacy. The Father and Son have existed in all eternity past with one another. Before the world was ever even created, they have been in relationship with each other. And in a deeper relationship than any of us could ever fathom having with a human being. And Jesus says here that's the same relationship he has with his sheep. That he knows them that deeply just as the Father knows him as the Son. Jesus knows every single sin you struggle with. Jesus knows every single thought you have. Every weakness you feel. Every frustration you experience in life. Now, for many of us, the first thought of that is frightening. Right? To imagine that someone knows all of that about us. Things that... No other human being knows about us. And in one sense, it should cause us to have a little bit of a shock factor, at least, to think that all of this is known by Jesus. But here's the joy. Jesus knew all of that and still laid down his life for his sheep. Jesus knew the depths of every single thing you will ever struggle with, every sin you'll ever be tempted to do, every thought you'll ever have, and he still gave his life for you. He knew exactly how sinful you were going to be, and he did it anyway. But did you notice here, it's not just the shepherd has this intimacy towards his sheep. Look at verse 14 again. I know my own, and my own know me. And then verse 15 describes it as the way that the Son knows the Father. Sheep that belong to Jesus know their shepherd intimately. They trust their shepherd. They know what would please their shepherd. They know what direction the shepherd is taking them. They enjoy being with their good shepherd. So take a moment and ponder whether this is true of you. 
I want you to think about who it is in your life on this earth that you know best. Who do you know best? For some of you, it may be a spouse, it may be one of your children, it may be a friend that you have, it may be one of your parents. Now ask yourself, do you know Jesus better than you know that person? The moment Jesus says the intimacy between him and his sheep is like the father and son's intimacy, he elevates it. It becomes elevated here that our intimacy with Jesus should go on a deeper level than any human relationship we ever have. Our intimacy with Jesus should exceed anything, any relationship that we have with people around us. True sheep, sheep that really belong to Jesus, sheep that really know their good shepherd, should know Jesus better than whatever expertise you have at the job you have. They know Jesus better than the names and statistics of your favorite sports team. They know Jesus better than even the favorite meals or snacks of your most loved ones. Do you know the good shepherd in this way? Do you know him with this type of intimacy? And as Jesus is conveying this intimacy with his sheep, he gives this surprising statement to his audience. For the Jews, we have to remember, right? They are God's people. From the Old Testament, they are the chosen people. Nobody relates to God like they do, so thus they don't relate to anybody else, right? We don't touch those nasty Gentiles, anybody that's not a Jew. Even the Samaritans are only half-breeds. We don't like them either. But we see in the very next sentence that the good shepherd lays down his life for sheep not yet brought into the flock. There are sheep of another fold, which Jesus means here. He's saying, I have sheep that aren't part of Israel. And he says, these sheep are going to be brought into the flock. Look at verse 16. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. This is an astounding claim if the Jewish people are actually grasping what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that there are some people at this present time for them, they're present, some people that don't belong to Israel that are still going to be part of Jesus' flock. So Jesus says, in laying down my life for the sheep, I'm laying it down for them too that are going to be brought in. Even the Gentiles are going to hear and respond to the gospel, which we see in the entire book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament. That's exactly what happened with Paul. These Gentiles will listen to his voice, right? Look back at verse 4. This is what happens. He goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. There are Gentiles that are going to know his voice. And even when the Gentiles are brought in, it's not going to be a divided flock. 
It won't be, well, here's the whole pasture. We're going to keep the original sheep over here, and we're going to keep the, the dirty Gentile sheep over here. And sure, they might be in the same pasture together, but we're going to kind of have two different flocks, even though they might follow the same sheep. That's not the point. Look at verse 16 again. There will be one flock and one shepherd. There is a unity among the flock because there's only one shepherd leading the flock. If all the flock is following the same shepherd, there is no division to be had. So two reminders for us here. First, this should be a reminder for us that Jesus has sheep that are not yet part of the flock yet. And you know what? They may be some of the people that you would least expect for Jesus to bring into the flock. That's how the case was here with the Jewish people. So who is that for you? Who is it that's in your life that is possibly going to respond to the voice of Jesus as the good shepherd, but they just haven't been brought into the flock yet? Maybe because they haven't heard that voice. Maybe nobody's shared the voice of Jesus with them yet. Church, this is our very mission. This is exactly what Jesus sent his disciples to do, was to find those who were going to respond to the voice of Jesus who haven't yet become part of the flock. In fact, I would say that those who are true sheep not only have intimacy with their good shepherd, but they want to see other people have that intimacy as well. They want to see other people become part of the flock. Is that what you want? Do you want to have other people join the flock? Not so our attendance numbers look good for Sunday mornings, but because there's an intimacy that comes with the good shepherd who lays down his life for them. There's a joy, right? We've talked about this before. There's a joy in our souls. There's a satisfaction for our hearts that happens through trusting in Jesus. That should be our goal. In fact, I would say what Jesus says here should be one of the most emboldening statements we could hear for evangelism. In Jesus saying these words, it's a guarantee that he has other sheep that will respond to his voice. You and I may not know who they are, but it's a promise that there are some out there who have not yet become part of the flock. So that's the first part. The second part, though, here is once those sheep join the flock, there's not division among the flock. There is a unity that happens among the flock. These aren't second-class sheep once they enter in. right? Consider it kind of like If anybody's ever worked with kids before, you do follow the leader, right? Now, they might not do that too much anymore. I don't know. They're probably too busy on their Game Boys or whatever. But I know, right? Game Boys is so outdated. It shows shows even my age at 30, right? Goodness, right? What is it, Xboxes now or Playstations or whatever? Anyway, (laughs) Game Boys. When you play follow the leader with kids, when do they end up scattered? When do they end up getting in trouble? When they took their eyes off the one who was in front. 
when it became more important for them to go in their own direction. Churches only end up divided when they lose sight of who's in front. When we remember that we are sheep following the good shepherd who has laid down his life for us, we will have unity together because we're following and listening to our shepherd together. When we keep in front of us the one who was willing to die for us, we then find ourselves willing to die to ourselves to sacrifice for each other for the sake of all of us following the shepherd. And it's that willingness of the shepherd to die for us that we see in our final point here. The good shepherd lays down his life willingly with assurance of victory over death. Jesus wasn't backed into a corner when it came down to laying down his life. He did it because he cared, which leads us here to the how of it, or Jesus' attitude in the midst of it. Jesus gave his life willingly, verse 18. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus, as the Son, received authority from his Father, authority over his own life. So nobody, nobody, no human being had the authority to take Jesus' life from him unless he was willing to do so. In fact, as Jesus is about to be arrested, many of you probably know this verse, Matthew 26, 53. Jesus is about to be arrested, and remember one of his disciples pull out a sword? Look at what Jesus says. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? In a split second, Jesus could have changed everything with the authority that he had. He could have easily, easily avoided the death if he wanted to. But instead, he willingly is arrested and ultimately willingly takes death at the hand of these Jews. As he hangs on the cross, he willingly takes our sin. No one forcing him. It's just a good shepherd who cares for his sheep. But he doesn't do it without hope. He doesn't do it just, well, I guess this is the end. If he has authority over his own death from the Father, what what else does he have authority over? His own life. Look at what we see in verse 17. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that... I may take it up again. Jesus lays down his life, and we know three days later he's going to take it up again. He knows what's going to happen. In fact, we already saw it in the Gospel of John. Do you remember? He said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up again. Now, they didn't understand what he was talking about, but we do. Jesus willingly lays down his life for the sheep. This is no easy task in and of itself. The resurrection doesn't make the death easier. But it does give assurance. Jesus lays down his life. Remember, at this point, when Jesus is speaking these words, the resurrection hasn't happened yet. 
This is what he's headed towards. The good shepherd sacrifices himself because he knows death is not going to have the last word. And so also is the case for the sheep that belong to Jesus. Jesus doesn't just have authority over his own death and life, but he gives assurance that his sheep will have life now and have life forever. If you know the good shepherd, you have been given life. Abundant life here and now as you follow the voice of Jesus and eternal life as one day you will forever be in the presence of your good shepherd. Your assurance is only as good as your authority you're basing your assurance on. Are you sure that your car is going to start in the morning? Your assurance is based on what? The authority of your experience of it started every morning for the last two years. Are you sure you're going to keep your job? Your assurance is only based on the authority of your boss who says you're doing a good job or not. The same goes here, but it's better. You can be more sure than anything else in life. You can be sure that you will have life now and have life forever because your shepherd is the one who has authority over life and death. Brothers and sisters, do you know this good shepherd? You see, because that's the problem among, amongst the audience. If you look at the last verses, verse 19, there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? division again about Jesus. Some say demonic, some say he's mentally unstable. Others say, well, we saw the miracle of the blind man healed. We have to at least come to the conclusion that it's probably not a demon. It doesn't say that they truly believe in who Jesus is, just that they have a better understanding at least than those who are saying Jesus is mentally unstable. But remember in our passage, what did Jesus say about the sheep? He knows them, And they know him. And that knowing is just as the father and son know each other. That's a deep, deep intimacy. Do you know Jesus in this way? It's much more than just saying, do you believe Jesus had a demon or not in him? It's whether you truly belong to Jesus whether you are a sheep of his flock. Because remember, he only lays down his life and takes it up again for those who belong to him, those who truly believe in him, and those who truly believe, as we've seen in this entire passage, those who truly believe know him, listen to him, and follow him as their shepherd. So it's a simple question this morning. Do you know Jesus as your good shepherd? Let's pray. Father, I pray for 
anyone who's in here this morning or anyone who's listening online this morning who hasn't yet become part of your flock, that by your Spirit you would help them to enter through the door of Jesus, that they would find themselves trusting in His death and the shepherd laying down his life for them. And that they would find themselves in more joy, more more peace, more satisfaction than they've ever had. Because now they are part of your flock. I pray for those this morning who are already part of your flock. that they would remember how much you care for them. That Jesus laid down his life for them and that he still has not abandoned them no matter what a situation they're in. That he is always with them. Father, as we go from this place, may we remember that we live around people who are not part of your flock. But we know Jesus says here that there are still sheep out there. May that be the goal, the purpose of our very lives. To help others find Jesus to be their good shepherd. As we go from here, stir our hearts towards sharing the message, the voice of Jesus that others might hear and follow him. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. As they come up, um, kind of have a simple song this morning to close with, but as I said at the beginning of the message, I can't 